Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is where you get the latest in news, views, and great advice about anything that concerns entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, and all small businesses. We're heard all around the world every week at this time. And thank you for making us the number one business radio in the show in the world for entrepreneurs. Now, we begin each week with a little segment called Bob's Thought for the Day. Now, they're sayings that are simple and get us to think. Today, I've got another three quotes, in fact, four quotes, from industry leaders that demonstrate conclusively that even the gurus of business are not always right. In fact, quite often, they can be well off the mark. Now, when you read one of the myriad of books about this or that CEO, they always look invincible. They always look like they always make the right decision. We don't see the mistakes they make, how many times they're wrong. You know, I've often said to people, you read my CV, it sounds great. But if I added my mistakes and my goofs, my CV would be 10 times longer. We all make mistakes. Business leaders make more mistakes than others, probably because they make far more decisions than other people. But the secret to being a good CEO or a good businessman of any sort is to learn from your mistakes and learn from the mistakes of others. So while we're talking about mistakes, how about these classics? Now, I get about 300 emails a day and probably half of these are junk, so many of One of my favourite CEO goofs is from Bill Gates, who said at the World Economic Forum in 2004, Bill said, two years from now, spam will be solved. No more spam. Boy, I'm glad we solved that problem. Can you imagine what it would be like today if we hadn't solved the spam problem? Jeez. I also love this saying from FCC Commissioner Tunis Craven who said, this is a few years ago, he said, there is practically no chance communication satellites in space will be used for telephone, telegraph, television or radio service in the United States. Hmm. There are now over 8,000 satellites put into space, of which I think 560 of them are currently operational. And in addition to that, there's about 800 or so military satellites. So if, um, as Tunis Craven says, they're not used for uh, communication, what the hell are they used for? How about this one from Lord Kelvin, President of the Royal Society? Heavier than air flying machines are absolutely impossible. He would obviously be astounded that there are now over 25 million flights every year carrying 1.7 billion people. That averages out about 70,000 people a day on these heavier than air 
flying machines. Okay, the final illustrious person screw up from the day is Clifford Stoll, the author of the celebrated book Silicon Snake Oil. Actually, I enjoyed the book. Who said, we will soon buy our books and newspapers straight over the internet. Yeah, sure we will. Hmm. Again, the only way to explain that quote is to think that he lived somewhere out in the middle of nowhere without internet and had a significant investment in the Times Group. Now, last Friday, I caught the red eye to New York to see Capital Advertising, which is comprised of students from the George Washington University School of Business. And they were competing in a regional final of the American Advertising Federation competition. My son, Hunter, was one of the 13 students from GW who put together the presentation for the competition. This competition is fantastic. It's run annually with colleges from right across the country competing in regional events to determine the winners of each region to compete in the national final at Ad America in Arizona in June. Now, each of the competing colleges had to create an advertising campaign for Glidden Brilliant Paints in Walmart. This year, Glidden sponsored the competition, which was judged by six heavyweights in the advertising industry, including the account director for Glidden. Now, I've made a lot of presentations in my day to both advertising agencies and director clients, and I was absolutely amazed by the extraordinary quality of each of the presentations from the colleges that I saw. I mean, some of the presentations were worthy of one of the major advertising agencies. Despite being created in the students' own time, outside their normal curriculum, but still working as a class. Now, this is college education at its absolute best. The other thing that amazed me was the fact that the GW team of 13 students, five of whom made the presentation, conducted extensive research at Walmart across the country, prepared these complex integrated advertising programs in a period of just three months. They worked on the presentation between 6 and 12 hours a day, often working through the night and doing their regular classes during the day. This is why I could never, ever get my son. I rang him incessantly. The little bastard would never talk to me. Now, the five students who presented the campaign to the judges, including Hunter, were all confident, they were polished, and they presented in a very logical and concise way, and they also had excellent graphics and video advertisements that they'd produced. Their presentation had been rehearsed pretty extensively, and it really showed. But while professional, it was not slick. It seemed like a conversational pitch with the judges. It was excellent. To me, this was the most valuable part of the presentation because while examining extent examining extensive research, determining the campaign and putting the campaign together is very important. You know, not all of these students are going to pursue a career in advertising. But no matter what career each of them undertakes, presentation skills are critical. It doesn't matter what you do. And not only in business, but pre presentation skills are important just in your normal life. 
to have the confidence to recall extensive amounts of detailed information, to present it confidently to your peers, to look whoever you're talking to straight in the eyes, to speak clearly and concisely and sell at the same time is a skill that should be learned by everyone. I'm also absolutely thrilled to say that the George Washington team won the regional competition and will be competing in the finals in Arizona. I am a very proud dad and I am very proud of the team at GW. That win really was well deserved. They've got this wonderful little professor there. I shouldn't call it a little probably. Professor Linda Maddox, who is just tremendous and all of the team absolutely love her. And so her commitment to this whole thing is amazing. It shows everybody in business that if you do your research, target your presentation accurately and present it professionally, you will win no matter what it is that you're presenting. The other thing that I thought was extremely interesting and is a strong indication of marketing in the future is that almost every competing team focused on digital media. Traditional media was essentially ignored. Now, this reinforces what I've been saying on the show for a year, that um, there are much more effective ways these days to communicate than using traditional media. So congratulations to all the colleges that competed. You all did a fantastic job but particularly to Capital Advertising at George Washington University, and also a big thanks to Glidden Brilliance Paints for making this wonderful competition possible. Now, just to put icing on the cake, Professor Maddox has also won the Distinguished Advertiser Educator Award from the American Advertising Federation this year, and she'll be presented with that award at the event in Arizona. And this award recognises the best advertising professors in the country. What a fantastic effort by everybody involved. Congratulations, guys. Now, when you see the report from eMarketer today, it comes as no surprise that all the colleges focused on digital marketing. eMarketer reported that tablets will drive 65% of mobile commerce... I'll say that again will drive 65% of mobile commerce sales in 2013, even though smartphones will still make up the majority of connected devices. So people are using tablets much more for mobile commerce. All told, mobile mobile devices will make up 15% of digital sales in 2013, up from 11% last year. While studies differ in methodology, 35% of mobile traffic in the fourth quarter of 2012 came from iPhones, while just 17% came from iPads, which is the most popular tablet. But tablets are no longer a luxury item now because everybody's got one. And because they're not a luxury item, everybody has them. You see them everywhere. They're used on planes everywhere you go. There's plenty of tablets, but they are the popular tool for e-commerce. And eMarketer predicts that by 2017, 25% of 
all digital sales will come from mobile devices with nearly 75% of that coming from tablets. Now, we had a lot of feedback on my comment last week that we are talking ourselves into a poor economy. I said last week that the United States is in the middle of a business restructure that will bring another huge boom, driven by technology that will demonstrate clearly that this country has got the best economic engine in the world. Instead of doom and gloom, we should be highly confident of the future. We should be investing in new enterprises. We should be giving entrepreneurs the funds they need to lead the world in development productivity. We can confidently go out and buy new homes, invest in that new car, and go out and enjoy all the benefits that America provides. Now, most people thought that I was overstating the strength of the economy. And I had a few agree with me, but I must admit, the ones who didn't agree outnumbered them considerably. But I'm going to say it again. I think the naysayers are totally wrong. It's bloody easy to be negative. But there's nothing to be negative about. Come on, America, let, don't get, let yourself get talked into a poor economy that doesn't exist. Be positive. Be enthusiastic. Instead of talking the economy, business and government down, give them the support that reflects the spirit of this unbelievable country. There's too much negativity. The future looks fantastic. Now, as you're probably aware, Apple stock, since it made its last big product announcement about 200 days ago now, has gone down and down and down and down. In fact, it's lost about 40% of its value. The reason for this is that iPhone sales appear to have plateaued and everybody's waiting for that next big thing. You know, those that know are tipping that will either be Apple TV or it'll be a new software. So there's an event coming up, which is the first event of Apple's new CEO, Tim Cook's era, and he will be, no doubt, defining his own vision of Apple's future. So one of the tips is that the next announcement is likely to be its plans for its iOS software, which powers the iPhones, iPads and iPad Touches. And these are worth $33 billion in revenue last quarter, or 75% of Apple's total revenue. What is interesting, though, that the revenue of these products is the same as Google and Microsoft's combined total revenue last quarter. The other thing we could find announced are improvements to iCloud, which is great for backing up your iPhone, but is not popular with developers who want to use iCloud for data syncing. Now, for all of you who have shares in Apple, I hope Tim Cook and his team can live up to Steve Jobs' legacy. Now, don't forget, this program is all about you, the entrepreneur or the small business person that's listening to this show looking for tips on how to be more successful and what's going on with business. That is what we are here for. So if you have a question, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it on air. This whole show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. We'll be back in just a moment with Adrian Webster. 
who I reached in the UK and who recently addressed business leaders alongside former Prime Minister Tony Blair at the Swiss Economic Forum. This guy talks sense in a very simple, straightforward manner. I know you're going to like what he has to say. I'll be back in just a moment with my interview with Adrian. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to successful people and people who are making a difference and doing things that are different. There's some great people in this world that have amazing talents, and I love to speak with them because, you know, I'm not very bright, and the more people that I speak to, the more I learn, and the more I learn, the more I can fool people. It's a good plan. So my aim in these interviews is to find out what the characteristics of these people are. What is it that makes them great? What is it that makes them successful? What do they do that other people don't do? And how can we learn from them? Now, last week, my guest was new media pioneer Chris Adams, who had the most extraordinary CV I have ever seen, went on for pages and pages and absolutely extraordinary. Today, my guest is Adrian Webster, who I'm speaking to in the UK, and he could be not he could not be more opposite. His CV, let me just read a bit. Riot policeman, milkman, salesman. They're just a few of the many entries on Adrian's CV. Before he moved into the IT industry and discovered that he had this amazing ability to inspire people and deliver extraordinary results. He's the son of a Yorkshire coal miner. And he's established himself as one of the most popular motivational speakers in Europe today, although I know he hates that term. But Adrian's a best-selling author, and his Polar Bear Pirates books are going gangbusters all over the world. Now, despite a pretty low-key CV, my friends in the UK tell me that Adrian's a superstar and really gets phenomenal results. In fact, Adrian recently addressed business leaders alongside former Prime Minister Tony Blair at the Swiss Economic Forum. 
So I'm looking forward to finding out what makes this guy who on the surface looks like a pretty average guy, pretty average background, but has made himself into a huge success. Hi, Adrian. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? Mate, I'm doing really well. That has got to be about the most unexciting, you know, <laughs> um, ah. CV I've ever read. I, you know, I opened it up and it said riot policeman, milkman, and I thought, oh, what have I got myself How into? How boring here? is this person? Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm trying to deceive, Bob. I'm trying to deceive you a little bit. So. Oh, okay, good. Now, I understand you did quite a lot of research into the world's most successful entrepreneurs. So you didn't obvious, you didn't ask me, so obviously your selection criteria was pretty flawed. But um, seriously, what did you find out? I found out some simple things, Bob. I found out that they have all the qualities of a young child. If you want to be successful as an entrepreneur, as a, a business leader, uh, then release all those childlike qualities that you have still tucked away deep down inside those qualities you had before you went to school. What qualities would they be? Oh, anyone listening will know the qualities that kids have. They're, they're children at home that they never stop asking questions. They have yeah. incredible enthusiasm, massive determination. When's the last time you ever said to a child, no, you're not having that? and they ended up getting it one way or another at some time. Yeah. They have incredible belief. They believe in Father Christmas. They believe in two fairies. They believe in life. They have a great sense of humor. They love fun. Uh, they're doers. They get on with things. Uh, they have incredible energy. If I could hook up my two youngest children to the national grid here in the UK, the world's energy crisis would be solved instantly they they have corkscrew thinking they're forever looking around walls and barriers for solutions to problems i read recently a typical child preschool child asked 437 questions a day i didn't know it was so few bob <laughs> now you know that's interesting because um you'd be familiar with sir ken robinson who's um a great british um, yep. expert on education and uh, he lives in Los Angeles now he saw the light and um, but he he's a great advocate of restoring things like creativity and imagination and and arts and all of that to schools because it gets bashed out of you I was talking about this last week that um, uh, you say look you know I, I want to be creative or I want to be uh, something that's outside the norm, and they say, "No, you don't want to be. The, you don't want to do that. You want to be an accountant." And um, and I think our whole education system's geared to bashing creativity out of people. So I get what you're saying, and I agree with you entirely. Um, I think it is. Some somebody once said it wasn't me, but somebody once said you, you go into school as a question mark, and you come out as a full stop. It's probably a bit cynical that, but but I well, think, I think that, it's dead true. I think the yeah, I think to a point that, you know, they they have to have a process, a system at school, don't they? But it's a very narrow stream, isn't it, that people get put down. I mean, I was I was pretty useless at school, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, it's only when I came out of school I sort of found I had some sort of talents. Uh, I just wish that, that kids earlier on, they were recognized for some of the creative talents that they have. They might not be good at history or English or maths or physics or geography, uh, but I'm a great believer that everybody has, has a talent. Uh, and I think, you know, if you could, 
the problem is, you go to school, you go through the school gates, and, and you know, you're this, just this bundle of energy, you know, wanting to ask yeah. millions of questions and, and full of excitement of life. And then the next thing, as you said, you know, you've got someone sucking the life out of you. You can't do this, stop doing this, stop doing this. And you become prisoners, prisoners of other people's thinking, don't you? You get thrown into life's big blender to come out and be the same as other people. And yeah, I agree. The yeah. last thing I want in my team, in my business, is people being the same as anybody, anyone else's on. I want people to be different, but I, I want them to be themselves, I think, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, just imagine if we had a bash the creativity out of a Michelangelo or a Picasso or a Mozart. I mean, you know, and if they had have gone to today's school system, that's exactly what would have happened. You know, Michelangelo would have been a plumber and Picasso would have been a painter and Mozart would be fixing toilets. Um, <laughs> now, today, every one of us now, we, we're competing in a true global marketplace, aren't we? You know, when we were growing up, um, your major competition was in your town or the town next door. And while this global marketplace has levelled the playing field somewhat, the big guys still have got all the grunt and all the muscle and all the money to be able to dominate still. So what advice do you give to um, SMEs, or at least the executive in SMEs, about how to compete against those big boys? I would give them this bit of advice. You've got to have the attitude that problems are pregnant. Every time anyone out there has a problem, a problem gives birth to a need, a need needs a solution. Yeah. As an SME owner, that's where I come in uh, and, and seize the opportunity. Uh, the other thing I would say is, is that you've got to use a secret weapon, and that secret weapon is what I call TNTs. They're tiny, noticeable things. They're all the little tiny things we do that either really please people or wind people up. Yeah. They're highly explosive, and they absolutely blow the socks off customers and they leave the competition behind. But the little things that you can do as a smaller business that the big boys take an awful long time to come around to do, and they're all the little things that big businesses just don't really seem to notice. People don't notice, I personally don't think, big things. As an ex-police officer, when you had to go to somebody's house and deliver the worst news you can imagine, when you deliver that news to this lovely family, People can't take it in. It's too big. Yeah. And I believe that between the conscious and the subconscious or the, the hard drive, the disk drive, whatever you want to call it in your mind, there's a grid that, that stops us taking in, thank God, big things. We can't take on board big things. Well, there's little things, little TNTs, tiny noticeable things. They're so small, they're able to go straight in there and, and explode instantly. You know, the... Little things people say, like, for example, you know, you, you say to somebody, we've just booked a holiday, and they turn around and say, anywhere nice? This year, we thought we're going somewhere that's awful. <laughs> no, all the little things we do, you know. But yeah. being serious, people's first names, remembering birthdays, uh, a handwritten note to say yeah. thank you to somebody in this world of text messages and emails. Uh, the really, really successful businesses work very hard. Whether it's true or not, I was talking to a fella at a conference recently, fairly recently, and he was telling me, he's a director of the Hilton Group, mm. and he said in this conversation that um, I was having with him that their flagship hotel is, is the Hilton Bangkok. And he said he stayed there two years ago for a long weekend, 
and he went back two years later, very recently, and he walked into reception, and the receptionist looked up, smiled at him, and, and said, welcome back, sir, to the Hilton Bangkok. Yeah. And he said, how on earth do you know I stayed here before without even looking at your computer system? And she, we recognize you, sir. And he, he got so wound up about it that night that the next day he went down and he found the same receptionist and he pulled his business card out and he said, look, you know, we're, we're on the same team, we're both Hilton. He said, how on earth did you recognize me? And she said, I'll have to get the deputy manager. The deputy manager came down and he said, you see the, the guy on the door there, the concierge, you see him in the top hat and the tails? The reason we employ him, he, he's, he's a memory champion. He has a photographic memory. When he carries your suitcase in, if he puts it down by the pot plant, it means you've stayed here before. Yeah. Now, now, these things, for some people listening, uh, might sound like a lot of bull, but they're golden bull, you know? And, and yeah. the difference is when people, come, when people come to pay the bill, it's a lot more expensive. Why? Because of all the TNTs. And what I'm saying is, as a, a small business, compete on your own turf. Fight, fight that battle, because it is a battle. It, it's war. Yeah, it fight on your terms as an SME. Don't 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 start sort of getting sucked in and fighting a sort of you know a, 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 gra a ground a, in an open space. Like for example, you know, be a sort of business terrorist. I know someone wrote a book about that. Yeah. But customer service, not as, I think you said it, Bob, in one of your things. You know, we don't want to just sort of delight customers. You know, we want to blow their socks off, absolutely yeah, exactly. blow them away. Uh, and, and, I do you know, say some, that. Some, I think you did, and somebody... I do, yeah. You do say that, and it's, but it's so true, isn't it? It is yeah, it so is. true, you know, no matter how many times you say... But, you know, for example, someone rings your business with a complaint. It's a golden opportunity to show off how great your service can be, you know? I agree. You know, spin yeah. that complaint into an opportunity. But tiny noticeable things, remembering people's first names, going out your way to thank people, handwritten notes, all the little things. And the wonderful thing is, they show you care, they're what people see, and they cost nothing. Yep. These are the things that cost nothing. It costs nothing to remember someone's name or remember what drink they prefer. Or uh, it, it, I, I tell you what, in the UK here, to, 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 to be, deliver exceptional customer service, you just have to do the basic human quality things that anyone would expect like smiling and saying hi yeah. how are you and simple things like that i'm on my high horse i'm coming off it for a second okay now most people in business read books about extraordinary leaders i've read millions of them you know like welsh and branson and whatever and when you meet them most of them have got that x factor that most of us weren't born with you know they've just got us something extra for the regular business guy what's the key to inspirational leadership for them if they you know if they're not born to be a Branson I personally think the number one thing is to show you care if you really care about your people and your business your products your services they will go that extra mile for you if you really display that you are passionate uh, about the business um, but if you're not really passionate about your people uh, and you don't appear to really care. People, people see through it. You can't fake that. Uh, and if, if I, I was talking to an arm, ex-army general the other day on the phone, and I said to him at the end of the conversation, you know, "You've led men and women into battle. Uh, <laughs> I've never done that. I've, I've just been in business all my life." And I said, 
what is the number one key as a great leader to, to want, want getting people to want to go into battle and, and potentially give their lives? And he said, Adrian, oh, without doubt, showing you care. If yeah. your troops, your men your, really know you care, they will do it with you. But if yeah. they don't, they'll... And the other thing is, I think, and I'm being very serious, you have to make time and space. When I'm doing my workshops with people, I, I ask them, uh, sorry, when I'm doing my leadership workshops with people, I say to them, um, what is the one thing people want from you? And people start listing things like, uh, they'll say people want direction, recognition, they want to be validated, yeah. and so on and so on. They want... The actual number one thing it always turns out that people want is your time. As, as their leader, people yeah. want a chunk of your time. They want your time. Yeah. And somehow in that business, we have to make time to spend with people. Even now and again, just sitting down with someone, having a coffee, asking how they are. And there's a TNT thing there. Don't at the end of that turn around and start say, oh, by the way, uh, could you just do this for me? Yeah. Just have a chat with people. How are they feeling? How are they doing? Uh, if yeah, you I... watch the great tennis players on television, you know, they, you know, you see a ball served at, you know, what, I don't know, 140 miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, they all seem to have time to move around the court to sort of the yeah, top performance. And Champions making sports time people for your do. People. That's the difference. Yeah, I agree. To show, to show that you care. You really, really care. Um, but then people will get out of bed and come into work and, and want to take that extra step for you each day. Okay. We're, we're in an era where most of us, I guess, marvel at the incredible products that pop up every day. I mean, here in Los Angeles and Silicon Valley, there's a, a new extraordinary thing comes up almost every day. So what practical tips do you have for coming up with brilliant ideas? How do you get your team to suddenly start coming up with brilliant ideas? A couple of things I do. The one thing I do is called dunking. Have you ever dunked a biscuit into a cup of tea or a coffee? And, uh, no. It's a <laughs> I think it's uncouth and vulgar. But yes. Oh, I love it. As a Yorkshireman <laughs> from England, I, I can't... But I do... A, dunking was actually a thing that Edison used to do when he was coming up with ideas for his inventions. What he used to do, he used to sit in a big comfy chair on a hard wooden floor in the evenings and he would hold in one hand a couple of large ball bearings and he used to drape his hand over the edge of the chair and what he would start doing is he would give loads and loads of thought first of all he'd input the information loads of thought to an invention that he was working on and then he used to doze off and the reason he was doing this was because he used to just doze off and when he actually fell asleep his hand would drop the ball bearings and it would wake him Mm. And what he could do, he could snatch the ideas he'd come up with. You see, we go to bed at, to bed at night. I don't know how long people listening sleep for, but I'm assuming people get seven hours sleep, eight hours, maybe less, maybe more. And you have thousands of ideas during that sleep, but, but yeah. you can't remember them. The other great place for having them is in bars, but a lot of people can't even remember which bar they went to. <laughs> the two very best places for best ideas are either... Uh, sat on the loo or lying in the bath uh, because the way you can just enter that twilight zone and doze you see the subconscious I'm getting slightly technical here but it is 24 hours a day 7 days a week 365 days a year churning up loads and loads of ideas 
you have to be in a in a position to receive those ideas. You have to be in a relaxed environment. Yeah, that's uh, why I, I always keep a pad and a pen right next to yeah. the bed for exactly that reason. Although there's a lot of times I wake up in the morning and go, what the Christ is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, <what laughs> None of it makes any sense, but at 3 o'clock in the morning it sounded brilliant. <laughs> but no, try, try, just think and really work on an idea in your head. Yeah. And then sort of late one evening, sit there in a nice comfy chair, hold a couple of orbergs and try, I promise you, it would. And the other thing for great ideas is, is people talk about thinking outside the box. Get out your box. Take, take your team, your people. Uh, go out, get some fresh air. Go to a different environment. Uh, like when, when food's cooked outdoors, it tastes so good. Well, the ideas you get outside, it is phenomenal. It's amazing. And also, Bob, by water. If you can do it by water for some reason, and I don't quite understand it, it just seems to bring on some great ideas. When I had, um, we had quite a large marketing business and we used to have music on rotation for about 10 minutes. So um, we would change music and change it quite dramatically. And, you know, it's really impossible to think the same way when you're listening to Mozart as as if you're listening to Led Zeppelin. It is impossible to think. Seriously, it disrupts the way you think, and you do think differently. So we used to have these things in rotation. You know, you'd have Dylan, and then you'd go into Kiss, or then you'd go into whatever it is, and you do think differently. Now, I'm one of those people who really intensely dislikes dream takers, you know, the people who try to stop us from getting outside our comfort zone or trying anything new you know people like accountants and lawyers and usually spouses um you've got your own pet dislike don't you i understand that you call them neg ferrets which i assume is negative ferrets neg ferrets people who just go around moaning all the time so are they the same as dream takers or are they different no they're not the dream takers they are they could be a neg ferret could be very yeah it could be a dream taker, but basically neg ferrets are people who just go around moaning and moaning and moaning. They have a prop they have a they have a problem for every solution. Yeah. They're the ones who light up the room when they walk out. They're they're, <laughs> they're, they're little warriors of doom. You know, you sit there in a meeting, everyone gets buzzed up, excited, we're gonna do Oh no, we tried that, didn't work. Oh no, we couldn't do that. They're always forever looking I'd give you some advice for neg ferrets, seriously. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you are running a business and you have got a couple of serious neg ferrets in your team or perhaps one neg ferret, Fire don't them. focus on them. Don't, no, focus on the, nine, the other 99% of people that do want to make things happen. Yeah, and I'd what you do, them. you just you just burn these people out with your positive energies. Write them out, seriously. You uh, know, I think that there's a great saying that I learned. I was... A marketing director for a guy named Kerry Packer, who well known in England for changing cricket, no. which was my responsibility, World Series cricket. And um, he used to have a saying that said, "The only way to change people is to change people." And I've always remembered that, and I think it's really true. So neg ferrets would be out the door in my business. Adrian, thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio oh, Show. Bob, what a privilege and a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you, you giving me the time. Now, I'm, I'm in the UK for speeches in June, and um, I'd enjoy catching up with you for a can of lunch and a beer or something. Did we do that? 
Yeah, we definitely can. I look forward to it. I am really going to look forward to that. No, seriously, I'd be terrific. Thank you. That's a pleasure. In the meanwhile, I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show straight after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment called Make Your Pitch, where we give entrepreneurs the opportunity to tell you about their product and solicit your help in making it come to fruition. My guest today is Roger Gordon, who I've reached in Canada, and he's the CEO of Green NH3, a new low-cost, zero-emission fuel. Hi, Roger. How are you? I'm fine. Good. Now, your concept, it's really disruptive and revolutionary. You know, and from what I understand, using your green N3 fuel, the average motorist just won't have to go to the gas station, and that sounds pretty good to me. Yes. uh, Most people pull up to the gas pump for fuel and think there's no other alternative. Um, from time to time, they hear about battery-powered vehicles and hybrids and algae, but uh, uh, biofuels. But most, mostly, they believe there's little alternative to filling up with gas or diesel. Uh, if you can imagine filling up your vehicle at your own place uh, using a patented machine the size of a refrigerator, uh, then you're at least part way to being a candidate for the revolution, which will someday make us wonder how we were so long tied to fossil fuels. Um, Probably the early adopters will be more apt to be large fuel users like trucking companies and large farms um, and remote communities and companies working in remote areas, but uh, probably would not be long after the commuters and delivery people will want to purchase machines uh, uh, as the price of the machine drops. So what is green NH3? Is it currently being used? Uh, yes, uh, we've been running vehicles on Green NH3 for 10 years uh, here in Canada, and it works well. 
but it needs to be scaled up. Uh, our vehicles look the same as any other vehicle, but the engines are converted similar to a propane conversion. Uh, in the future, we suspect vehicles will come right from the factory, ready to ready to uh, ready for green NH3. So, what are the what are the real benefits of green NH3? Um, the green NH3 fuel contains no carbon, so there's uh, zero emissions. Right. It, it's also the the only alternative uh, for airplanes, and then big trucks can't deliver goods with battery power. Uh, but green NH3 works for all uh, all of them. Uh, green NH3 also allows remote communities to become self-sufficient by making their own fuel right where it's used. Uh, some up north, some now pay as much as ten dollars a gallon or more for fuel. Yeah, interestingly, I went to a, um, a conference on Saturday morning about um, about the power of the um, fossil fuel industry, and it is awesome. And uh, they were saying that you know there's been a lot of various fuels created but the overall the power of fossil the fossil fuel companies which are tied into to the banking system which are tied into government um, do their best to stop any new fuels from getting any traction how do you beat that well we're we're not trying to be the Davy and Goliath we're trying to uh be ready when, 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 and if there's a fossil fuel decline. It, there's already a decline already. I mean, we're in Canada. We're paying a dollar and a quarter uh, a liter, which is about five dollars a gallon. Yeah. And uh, uh, with our own machine here, we, we we create fuel for fifty cents a liter, which is half the price. So. Wow. So, where and how is um, green NH3 manufactured? Um, our patented machine uses nitrogen from air and hydrogen from water and combines them to create uh, uh, NH3, which is a fuel we use in all of our vehicles and generators. Uh, we also store fuel we make uh, at off times for times when we need it. Uh, it's also a fertilizer, and uh, making and using the fuel does not disturb the natural processes. When the fuel is used, uh, all nature's molecules are as they were. Uh, there's no there's no disruption to the planet type of thing. Okay. So I understand the technology is proven, and it's peered by more than six universities, so that, that's a great start. So where's the problem in getting widespread acceptance? Um, where the problem lies is since, we'll call it big oil, is selling, yep. is selling $4 billion a day of, of carbon fuel, and we are told most every politician in government is in some way depending on oil for, yeah, for its tax. Uh, therefore, it's an uphill battle to get even one politician to even mention green NH3, let alone help. Um, in Canada, I believe it's even worse than it is in the U.S. We, we're, we're very oil-centric here because the government uh, uh, would all, well, it's admitted that they, they have an oil connection. Right. Uh, we believe it should be incumbent on government to have a backup for fossil fuel in the pipeline or sitting on the shelf. Um, obviously, a working day-to-day person isn't the guy that's going to put this, get this technology ready for when fossil fuel declines. Um, Science, Scientific American says peak is 2014. So there may not be much, much of a wait, but uh, every politician we contact says it's not government's job. Needless to say, there were there will be some big dollars to, at play when the decline of oil starts to play out. So 
how do you change that paradigm? It seems to me like it's a pretty tough call. Uh, when the White, when the Wright brothers invented flight, they didn't invent air travel. There was a 20-year delay while technology ramped up to fill an unknown need. Yeah. Uh, people didn't know they needed to get places faster. Uh, so with Green, with Green NH3, most people know there is probably something better needed, but exact, uh, but expect big oil will, will uh, come up with something when the time comes. If if you expect big oil to come up with a replacement for for oil and cut their profits on what little there is left underground, uh, you may be sadly mistaken. So, Roger, what can our listeners do to help you achieve your goals? Uh, I believe the time... I, I, I believe the time to invest in Green NH3 is now, before the crisis and, and with the right people behind it, and speaking to the right government and, and, and or business ears, Green NH3 could become the game changer. Some people are subconsciously thinking or... Uh, should be already in place, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, besides the investment opportunity, we believe a technology should. Oh, we believe a technology holdup has taken place while Green NH3 has, has been. It's been sitting stalled. Um, whether or not it was intentional or just fate, as long as Green NH3 is hidden or not known to the general public, other new advances don't happen. There's things that would probably happen as a result of Green NH3 being there, but they're not because, uh, well, for example, maybe some guy in another state has some technology that could make our process more efficient, but until Green NH3 becomes mainstream, he won't know to contact us or, 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 or join us, uh, or maybe some other technology is waiting for a green field to make a different uh, unrelated technology happen, but um, what with nanotechnology or even apps for handhelds, who knows what public... Uh, could come up with to make green NH3 better and better, but we won't know that till we get it out there and moving. Okay, so first of all, we need people to start talking about it and talking to their peer groups and and perhaps um, um, using social media to get the word out there. But what funding do you need right now? I presume you need funding. So what funding do you need right now? I believe if the right group got behind this fuel, it might not take a lot of money. Um, to get things moving. What do, you right, call, what do you call a lot of money? Well, I'd hate to tell you how much I had in it already, but I, I've, I've done the big, I've done the big heavy lifting already. Um, it's more or less. I, I think it's a lot to do with, with, uh, like you mentioned, social media and stuff like that. But the right connections might do more than, than more good than big money. If someone right. out there has the same idea that there is a need to have a replacement or alternative fuel. Um, you know, we shouldn't be de- we shouldn't be forced to depend on this, uh, or, uh, you know, dirty fossil fuel. Um, you know, the oceans are rising. Uh, there's a place in Canada here called Louis- Louisburg, and the water's rising there a quarter inch a year in the ocean, and nobody wow. seems to be mentioning it. Yeah. So you're open to any any novel idea that might help you either advance the cause or to get the word out there about. Um, green NH3, which is zero emission and about half the cost of, of current fuel, correct? Yes, yes, that's, and we're using it, and there's uh, people, I get people's calls from Europe and all over the place. Uh, it's mo- My problem is mostly that it's small people like myself, and so I guess we just got to join a bunch of us together. Uh, there doesn't seem to be anybody with the power 
you know, I'm thinking of, uh, I can name people that I've had here looking yeah. uh, that you would know of that uh, go away from it more or less saying, well, I don't want to counter-invest against oil, you know. Yeah, no, I understand that. Yeah. Roger, thanks very much for joining us on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and telling us about a great alternative clean, clean fuel. I think um, I went to this uh, um, conference on Saturday and we talked about this at some length. Now, if you would like to know more about Green NH3, you can go to www.greennh3.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the number one radio show in the world for entrepreneurs after this short break. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business show coming to you this week from the beautiful town of Los Angeles. My first email today is from James Hickory from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And James writes, Dear Bob, Thanks for your show. I began to listen regularly after I bought built, after I bought your book. It is really simple, easy to understand information that is very practical. I read a lot of other business books and autobiographies, but I often have trouble relating to their stories and my own business. Bob, my question is, what is the one thing that I can do to really build my retail business? I have a business plan and I advertise, but I don't get a good return on the money that I spend. Can you give me one tip that can really turn my business around? James, thanks for the question. I receive a lot of emails asking the same question, and the reality is that there is no one thing that you can do that will turn your business around. You really need to get quite a number of things right in order for your marketing and your sales to work. Of these, there are probably five elements that are most important. The first of these is getting your brand right. A couple of simple things can make all the difference. Does your name tell people exactly what you do? Have you got a logo that differentiates you from your competitors? Do you have a consumer purchasing benefit that expresses clearly why you are different and better than those competitors? And do you put all these together in everything that you do, every sign, every document, your clothing, side of your car and all of your advertising and promotion? You've got to use every one of these elements in every single thing that you do. James, as you have a retail business, another important element is your physical location. Is your brand reflected in every aspect of the store? Is your store properly merchandised? Um, Do you have an appealing ambiance? Do you have music in the store? Does your store make people feel very welcome? Now, if you've got all that right, then you need to effectively utilize promotions to drive people through your doors. 
They create awareness of your location, they increase your visibility, and that'll in turn drive more people to the store. But it's important that everybody that goes there gets a wow experience. James, you say that you advertise. So the first question is, do you have the right mix of advertising? Let's consider traditional advertising first. The next question is whether you should be using traditional advertising at all. Often, traditional advertising, unless it's a local newspaper, has way too big a catchment area for the small retailer. You're just wasting far too much money. This leads to the question of all the vehicles available, You've probably got several newspapers and several magazines and several television stations and several radio stations and billboards. And which ones of these, or more likely, which combination of these is going to reach the most of your prospective customer for the least cost? And if you've been listening to this program regularly, as you say you have, you'll know that social media, and in particular mobile, are all working extremely well for small business. But again, this is not a haphazard marketing effort. You need to have a well-thought-out strategy, and again, the right combination of vehicles is critical. You also need to make sure that you have the ability to track the effectiveness of your campaign, whether traditional or new media. The fourth element that's very important is your online presence. People now utilise web searches to find suppliers in their area and to check out the feel of your business, your products, your prices, etc. It is important to convey that you're more than just another store selling what everybody else is selling. You must differentiate yourself or people will buy based solely on price. And by building a strong online presence, you optimise your website for search engines and smartphones as well as reaching your target customers through the most appropriate paid search and online advertising. Don't forget that. Finally, it is important for local retailers to build a very strong reputation and be seen as a good corporate citizen. Through social gatherings, blogs, sponsorship or memberships, you can manage your company's reputation through groups, community groups, schools, lions, rotary clubs, local chamber of commerce. It not only builds awareness, but it builds respect in the community. James, I hope I answered your question. I know I'm hurrying it. I'm watching the clock. We're just about out of time. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're pleased to have been bringing you this show since 2011. It's a heap of fun doing it every week. And I'll be with you at the same time next week, no matter where you are in the world, to address the critical issues that affect small business everywhere. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come at the same time every week. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.